0: Welcome to The Curb Cut Effect. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Kevin Bell. Kevin Bell is a blind organic farmer in Oklahoma. Kevin and I met at Leader Dogs for the Blind in Rochester Hills, Michigan, where I was receiving my guide dog training with my guide dog, Wake, and Kevin was receiving orientation and mobility training, which teaches people how to interact with various environments with a white cane. Before meeting Kevin, I definitely had an interest in gardening, farming, etc. But Kevin introduced me to the beautiful art that is organic farming and inspired me to do it. I had no idea there was something that a person with visual impairment could do. And so almost immediately after returning from Leader Dogs for the Blind, I tore up basically my whole backyard and turned it into a garden. Still much uh, a much more modest, you know, plot than, than what Kevin manages down in Oklahoma. But in any case, I really hope you enjoy this episode and are just inspired by meeting Kevin Bell as I was over a year ago. And without further ado, this is Kevin Bell. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) Doing well. So um, I guess my first question is when anyone goes to the grocery store, you know, there's generally like an organic option that's sort of USDA certified organic often and something that isn't organically certified. It doesn't pretend to be organic. Do you you think that those organic products are worth it, even though they're a little bit more expensive? And how would you compare those organic products to maybe something that, that you would grow? (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'll try to hit on all those notes. As
1: you just <laughs>
0: <laughs> the
1: um, organic side on the commercial part, they are allowed to use some chemicals, the ones that are the USDA approved. You can find those at uh, large garden centers. It'll actually say that you know this particular product is approved by the USDA. So your commercial farmers can still use that And, you know, they have to use some products for herbicides and pesticides. Otherwise, I just, you know, in my own opinion, I think that it would just be too hard for them to actually produce produce and keep up with the demand of the public buying the produce. So the difference in the small farmer like me is that I can use compost that I either make myself or you can buy compost. So that right there helps a lot in the organic farming part of it. And the compost actually helps control your weeds whenever you put it around your plants, but it also helps control the insects that are there. And so with the small farmer, we can actually pay attention to a smaller area and make sure that we get the compost on it and we're always checking for insects that may be crawling on on your plants or you have some eggs that are trying to hatch underneath leaves larger commercial farmer growing the organic he has to be able to produce it quickly you know so he still cares about the product but he
0: just has to make sure he keeps up with the demand you know yeah and one thing that I've observed between kind of the organic farms that you're talking about that are a little bit larger and, you know, shipped to grocery stores and what you do and what, you know, someone like Elliot Coleman does is there is a big difference in the the number of different species that are present in the garden, right? And crop rotation seems to feature a lot bigger in a well-managed small farm. How would you basically describe the concept of, crop rotations and and then what that does and what types of benefits crop rotation has as opposed to just farming you know the same year in year out in the same place crop
1: rotation even the large farmers have to rotate what they're growing to keep their soil from uh, for lack of a better word just kind of dying off so as a small farmer we do have the choice of a lot more varieties that we can grow like you were saying with elliot coleman you know they do studies on how to plant what next but you can also as a smaller farmer you can also plant stuff in between you know if you plant corn seeds well while you're waiting on those you can plant in between those and have you know something like radishes coming up that you can harvest before the corn ever comes up so i think if you can get some resources you know a really you know maybe the library would be great where you could find a book on succession planting that really helps and then you can plant uh, different crops that will feed nitrogen you know maybe you want to plant beans and then the beans will produce nitrogen for your next crop that requires a lot of nitrogen so that's really helpful and something that we can do
0: versus what the commercial farmers can do For our listeners, I'd I'd love for you to describe the work of Elliot Coleman, you know, just anything that strikes you as interesting about that book. I I think what was really interesting to me about it was how
1: close he tried to keep everything to the earth, you know, starting all your stuff. I mean, he just has such a full circle of everything that he does uh, wintertime, springtime, falltime. And he really shows you how you can do all of it. Everything that he does, when you read about it, it's just he's already got the experience.
0: Yeah. And I I think what um, in my mind, what, you know, you and Elliot Coleman share and what I think, you know, makes for a really successful farmer. You know what I hope to be someday is this real commitment to the, you know, the literature, and, and there is just so much literature, and L.A. Coleman is a, is a tremendous scholar of agricultural texts of the 19th century, and the Netherlands, and France, and Southeast Asia, and, you know, and, and um, South and Central America. He, he spends a lot of time trying to really understand different ways of doing things organically, and he tries them all out on his farm in Vermont, and ultimately experiments a great deal, and that's something that I've had a lot of fun talking with Kevin about no two seasons are exactly alike or no two years, I should say, you know, and I'm sort of curious, Kevin, what are you changing up for this upcoming season or this next planting year? Any new things up your sleeve? I've always got new things up my sleeve. And that's one reason why <laughs> I like, you know, what you were saying
1: about it is because I love to experiment. I experiment with stuff every year. I'm always trying something different. And so that's really what's, you know, keeps things exciting next year. I will plant, it's not a new crop, but I will plant more strawberries and more blueberries. You know, for anyone that hasn't had homegrown vegetables, especially strawberries, once you get hooked on them, you just won't be able to go back to the grocery store (laughs) for them. And I have a a new greenhouse right now. And so I have lots of things that I want to try. And I know Elliot, you know, Elliot Coleman, he's got a lot of great information on that. And each year, I always try to
0: plant something new that I haven't planted before. So, what, for for context, Kevin lives in Oklahoma, and Kevin, off, do you know what zone you live in? Uh, seven. Seven. So, yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's a pretty warm zone. It was it was interesting this summer to chat a couple times, and I'd be like, oh, Kevin. It's in the upper 80s or whatever and and Kevin's like I was like it's 115 yeah <laughs> um, really 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 different but one thing that Kevin has been working on is you know introducing more northern things like i mean onions is is the one that we've talked about it you know quite a bit and i i must confess i have not broken out of that ping pong ball size onion category yet (laughs) and I'm 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 bound and determined and I really have no excuse because I'm I'm in good onion country Kevin would would you care to share a little bit about your your search your quest for for the perfect Walla Walla onion Mm.
1: well whenever I first tried the Walla Walla onion I was ordering seeds for it and I had you know I figured out how many I needed and I called The seed supply, and they said, Well, your zip code says that this won't work. Which I said, Well, (laughs) I'd still like to buy them because you know I like to experiment. And somebody said, You can do this, so I was like, Okay, so I still want them. And so they sold them, I grew them, and they came out beautiful. But one of my tricks that I've done to that was I put three inches of compost in the bed before i planted them and that three inches of compost seems like it has just made a worlds of difference the walla walla onions that i was getting were five and six inch diameter (laughs) so it's kind of like well okay there's the proof right there that it's working yeah and yeah if anyone asks me that's what i tell them compost compost compost
0: one of the things that my family is trying to do, because we did end up having a little bit of trouble just getting enough nitrogen. And, you know, we swore off the, you know, the chemicals, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the plants don't still need a lot of nitrogen. So what we're hoping to do for this coming year is, uh, you know, chicken, chicken, hot manure, compost that, introduce Mm -hmm. some, some really high nitrogen content compost into, into the system. Now, where do you source your compost? You mentioned, you know, of course you can get it from the store, but what would you say your process is for getting good compost? For mine, I have chickens, and so I'll gather up leaves
1: and put the leaves inside the chicken house for bedding. So then I kind of get two things at once right there. It's really good. Mm. I have the chicken manure, which already starts breaking down as it's there, which is breaking down the Leaves because leaves usually take about two years to break down on their own. So, once you add the chicken manure to it, it speeds the process up. So, then whenever I clean out the chicken house, I take over to my compost bin, then it can further break down there. Plus, I have other grass clippings, food scraps, I have the garden scraps to put into it. We also raise beef to butcher as well as um, pigs, and so. Sometimes I have other straw or something from there, or I have hay, you know, that's no good anymore. I could put that in there. But I think the chicken manure in the leaves is probably where I get my best nitrogen at, like you were saying.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know my my mom, she intends to be sort of, you know, she's dubbed herself the, you know, the, the chicken tender of the family, and she's trying mm-hmm. to buff up on all the literature. I actually don't know that I've heard her talk about the leaves technique. I think that's really interesting. I, I mean, um, and this is something that Elliot Coleman talks about, but you know, in an organic farm, there really is a great role that livestock can play, as you're saying. One of the things that he talks about extensively is, you know, the industrial farm has sort of broken up this multi-crop multi-animal system that just naturally works so well you know with a lot of care and attention and Mm -hmm. now we have entire farms that are just cattle (laughs) other farms that are just wheat and instead of you know harnessing the natural sort of you know balance and synergy that can be achieved through having them all in close proximity we sort of engineered away the wonderful efficiencies that are inherent to an organic process so, one of the things that I'm always really curious about, of course, and I'm sure you know other people are as well, what types of techniques have you developed to be able to continue to manage your farm and all the different produce and animals and you know what types of things have you developed in order to be able to do that without vision? One of the most important parts to
1: start off with is good support from Family, friends, and spouses. <laughs> <laughs> I think without that, you'd kind of be like, "Uh, I don't know that yeah. you could." Yeah, you really got to have that to start off with. But then, you know, feeders placing them, you know, in, in certain spots where you can access them, and some of that just means that you can access them from outside of a either a pen or a fence, you know, so that you're not actually in the danger of them sometimes. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that I think is probably one of the best things to keep you safe is to try to concentrate on that part of it. And then, um, you know, that's for the animal side of it. And then in the garden side of it, the raised beds is a great way to keep everything contained in an area that you can access and find and kind of keep track of where you are and what you have in those areas without just ending up in an open area the garden twine is great you know putting the stakes at each end now you can keep your rows straight you can keep your spacing the way you need it once you plant your seeds you can still leave your garden twine there so that you can come back and check on it later and it really helps in watering the seeds as you're getting them started and you yet again you're still keeping track of them i've cut um, PVC pipe, various different lengths, you know, you want to space sweet potatoes 12 inches apart, then you have a 12 inch steak, or you want to put squash plants 36 inches apart, you can use your 36 inch, and then the PVC, it doesn't matter if it gets wet, or a little dirty, or muddy, you know, it's plastic, so it stays with you. Picking certain items, like the sweet potatoes, you're, okay, those are, those are done, You don't need any extra help figuring out if they're done. You just need to know right there they are. I can dig them up myself. Carrots, same way. But then you come to the friends, family, spouses part, picking something like a a red, ripe strawberry or a red tomato. And you know from what you've been growing this year, peppers. A lot of the peppers, you can just come up and you can fill the peppers and you say, oh, yeah, those are are perfect. That's just the way I want them. I'm going to pick these.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the the fun thing with peppers is there is a pretty wide, pretty long span of time in which you can pick the pepper and have a good experience, right? Like, if it's a little on the earlier side, it's green, has a little bit different flavor, a little bit later on, you know, before it gets sort of rotten and wrinkly. Yeah, that definitely is slightly more accessible. But yeah, no, you're totally right about the strawberries and stuff like that.
1: And another thing is, you know, just like you're talking about the peppers being a wide range of maybe a little greener. They may have turned red on you, you know, and it changes the flavor of them. And the same thing, I know me and you talked about the carrots, growing them at different mm. times of the year. Yeah. Uh, radishes are that, you know, you could grow radishes or lettuce and all of those. If you grow them at different times of the year, they have different tastes. So I always encourage people to experiment, you know, grow grow a radish in, into the fall instead of just in the spring, because that's mm. one of the, the large misconceptions that people have. They're like, well, we just grow in the springtime. I go to the local store and I buy a package of seeds and it says plant in spring,
0: you know, so they
1: don't, they don't venture out. And, and yeah. Oh, well, can we do the same thing in the fall? Well,
0: that's, yeah. It's funny that you bring up seed packages. I, I think all my gardening mistakes so far have been from listening to seed packages instead of you or Elliot Coleman. (laughs) Um, I mean, there just isn't space to really, you know, to describe everything that you need to know. So I'd be curious to know what your biggest misconceptions about farming, what, what you feel like those biggest misconceptions might be. For me, it was definitely I just thought it was like kind of boring. Like I, I didn't realize kind of just how scientific and be, how much of an art it is, how much you ultimately have to be kind of nimble in a certain way, like mentally, every year is different, every plant is different, something that worked for your corn is not gonna work. For you know your turnups, there's a lot to learn there. So I'd be curious to know what would you say are some of the biggest things you wish people understood about uh, what you do.
1: Well, I don't know, you know, if it's so much as I wish they understood what I do. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, some of the stuff that I've heard people over the years talk about. They say, "Oh, it's easy." You know, their very first year, they just went out and they bought a tomato plant and they put it in the ground and it's like, oh, look, it, it grew a tomato, nothing to it. What they're not understanding is, is the very first year they do it, their soil may be really good soil at that point in time. Yeah. Well, the next year, it's not that way anymore because now they've planted a, you know, a tomato plant or they've planted 10 things and it's pulled the nitrogen out of the soil, you know, from what they were growing or... You know some other stuff that it's taken away from it and so the next year they're like well what happened (laughs) everything worked great last year but they don't understand that they need to amend the soil to make it produce every year and they don't understand the crop rotation that has to take place you know you have a root crop this year in this bed well next year you don't want a root crop you want something above ground growing And so they don't quite understand how much we have to study on the succession planning, the bugs that are going to be there this year, the good bugs. Because a lot of people think, well, it's bugs. We need to get rid of all the bugs. But no, you don't (laughs) need to get rid of all of them. You need some of them to be there to make your, um, I mean, for instance, the pollination. Yep. Some people really have a fear of bees and it's like, oh no, these bees are awesome. We need them.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and that's one of the really, really interesting things, again, from Elliot Coleman is just this whole concept of what you're saying about the, you know, the, the quality of the soil and stuff like that is actually pests and molds and fungus, that type of thing is uh-huh. attracted almost counterintuitively to the weakest plants. And one of the best ways to avoid those types of problems is by having the healthiest plant that you can possibly produce. And that's why he's such a big advocate for transplanting seedlings to make sure that they're avoiding a lot of the trauma and difficulties of being a tiny little plant in the spring or really whenever. It's very, very tricky for plants to survive that and end up strong. So he you know he's a huge advocate for you know starting things in greenhouses where possible
1: yes and that's what I do is I try to start everything I can that way the great thing about doing stuff yourself is that sometimes you know you may grow some potatoes and they're not quite as large as you'd like because you ran out of time at the end of the year but for yourself your family they're great you can still yeah one of the things that I've always I just keep every year I've I've never lost being excited over going and getting the stuff and bringing it inside to eat. Mm. Yeah. And so you sit down at the table and you just feel that accomplishment that, hey, I raised this steer or I raised this pig. And then, you know, we're hating the meat from that. And we got the eggs from the chicken to make something else. And then we have the vegetables out, you know, so your whole meal is everything that you've grown. And taking the time to take care of.
0: And I think one thing that, you know, kind of to your point is just the flavor is sometimes radically different from anything that you could buy at the store for any cost. Like, yes. uh, Kevin called me one day and uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but <laughs> sort of apropos of nothing. He's like, have you considered winter carrots? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and and Kevin goes on his, his speech about how great winter carrots are. And um, so I, you know, ended up getting some from Johnny's select seeds and planting them. I've only tried one so far because, you know, they, they aren't quite ready yet but it was just i mean it was like no carrot i'd ever had before and we'd had similar experiences you know doing turnips i don't think my family we were previously huge turnip people i mean of, of like the all the lettuces are just unbelievable if they've talk about being fresh i mean I, I mean you could they've been apart from the plant like 5 minutes when you eat them and you know i mean it's just the it, completely different consistency and flavor i mean it's 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 unreal I've always used examples of, you eat a fresh strawberry and you won't want one from the store anymore.
1: Or, you know, eat a fresh egg. There's such a difference, like you were saying.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to start doing organic gardening?
1: To getting started, you know, for resources, you have your uh, local county extension office. And so they're gonna have fact sheets that you can get from them. That will be on just about anything that you could possibly want to grow you know whether it be fruit vegetable trees they'll have fact sheets on that i do not know about other ones i know mine they you can go there in person they have plants growing different flowers vegetables trees and so you could go there and see exactly what grows in your area so like for me blackberries that come from arkansas grow the best Mm -hmm. here in oklahoma because i live really close to arkansas i guess our climates are are really close to the same so by going there you know you can really see how well they're doing in in your own environment and some of the stuff maybe you don't know what what it's supposed to look like at the end result and so you can go there and kind of oh okay so that's what it's i pulled up those as weeds last time (laughs) you know so Um, your library, you know, is great for people getting started. My local libraries have seed that you can actually check out and wow. they, they really do stamp it with a date. I think it's like 99 years or something like that crazy, but they actually stamp it with a date. I think it's funny. <laughs> and then, um, I think a lot of people starting, it's important to have the support of others that you can talk with. And so if you have a community garden in your town, that would be a great place to start. Or if you can just find a neighbor, you know, that can kind of help you out. I know whenever I was a kid, I worked for a couple of different commercial farmers where, you know, one of them would be harvesting watermelons and the next one would be harvesting corn. And so you could kind of go back and forth.
0: Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. And um, I love the idea of checking seeds up in the library, you know. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> My seeds are overdue. No. um, Yes. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Um, um, I love, I love the
1: experimenting with stuff. I give out one of my secrets was is I kept reading books, you know, like Elliot talks about, you know, like going to Europe and figuring out that this part of Europe is the same as this part in Oklahoma or in Michigan Mm -hmm. where you are. And so you can learn what they're doing to help what you're doing. And so one of my great experiences a, a few years ago was I made a little trench in the ground and then I put Christmas lights in the dirt and oh, covered them yeah. up and then I planted my radish seeds and plugged the lights in so I heated to soil it because the soil temperature meant more than the outside temperature did on the leaves you know mm. keeping the roots warm and so I had to I had to do it and I I done it and I had beautiful radishes and the taste because they're in the winter versus the summertime yeah. It completely changed the taste of the radish, and in my opinion, they were better. I liked them better.
0: Wow! No, that's uh, yeah, that's some some great proprietary wisdom <laughs> right there. you gonna. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, you you heard it here first, folks. Yes, Christmas lights are like the, the key to good winter radishes. Uh, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to trying that out this winter. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Michigan does get a you know good deal colder maybe we'll have to use the uh the old-fashioned one the christmas lights that are bigger uh, maybe yes. they're a little hotter <laughs> well kevin thank you so much for joining us today it's always a pleasure and i hope you have a wonderful close to your fall season and can't wait to hear how next one goes yeah thanks for having me this is this has
1: been been a lot of fun and i hope everybody gets something out of it and goes out and starts growing